Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm Adam. I'm the pastor here. Good to have everybody in the house this morning. Happy Sunday. This is our second week in the Psalms. It's the Psalm Summer. And last week we were working through Psalms of Thanksgiving and praise. Today is Lament. Next week is Psalms of Ascent. Uh, The week after is Imprecatory or Psalms of Cursing. And then finally, Messianic Psalms. But this week it is a Psalm of Lament, which will be Psalm 13. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can turn there. But before we get to the text, uh, I want to ask you this question. Uh, How many of you remember the Counting Crows record, A Long December? Anybody in here remember? I could sing it. Taylor, can you come help me? Yeah, because you probably know this song. Yeah, if you're a certain age, you probably know the Counting Crows, A Long December. Uh, I guess I want to start here because I think I've only ever been actually depressed twice in my life. Like, you know, real, like actual depression, not having a bad day. Everybody has a bad day, but then there's like the actual thing. And sometime around the end of my teenage years, I think I was about 19, um, and I couldn't even necessarily tell you exactly why I was so low, but I was really, really low. And so that record, along December, it was kind of like a soundtrack, right? I was listening to it at this point in my life. And, and I was thinking about it this week, like, why was I so low? And I, I think part of it was I was working a job I hated for a boss I really, really disliked. But I think after sitting with it a little bit this week, I, I think the reason I was actually so low, I couldn't articulate it at the time. Maybe I only became aware of it this week. But I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when you are 19 or 20, this thing is happening in your life where your, your, your childhood and adolescent years are closing, and then the weights and the responsibilities of adulthood are beginning to increasingly come upon your shoulders. Does anybody remember this period in your life? Like you're going to school, you got a job, maybe you have to pay for the insurance for the first time, uh, you, you got a couple bills, and, and you realize like every single day that I go forward, I'm coming more and more out from underneath the care of my parents or the wishes of someone else, and I'm having to forge my own life, and it really is in some way up to me. And, and I, I think what I realized this week is uh, I, just, I, was, I was sort of grieving the loss of adolescence. It, it had closed. It's not, that, it's not that adulthood is bad. It's actually very good. And I don't actually at this point don't want to go back. Uh, I, I'm very happy. But how many of you know that sometimes when things change, anytime there's a change in your life, uh, change is associated always with loss. And anytime there's loss, there's oftentimes a grief. And so there can just be a sadness. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I was really low. Uh, to this day, Heather and I, we could be going through the grocery store and, and if a long December comes on, I literally feel it in my body. Yeah, anybody have a song like that? Uh, the second time that I was really, really low, I was, um, 
I was, I was 35. I've told you guys about this a few times, but I was 35 and I had something of an existential crisis. Um, it was sort of a period of awakening. Uh, it happens actually to a lot of people. I didn't know it at the time, but all of the theology I grew up with, all the philosophy that I grew up with, or just the worldview that I had grown up with, everything that had worked up to that point just no longer worked. And, and to make it worse, I was, I was pastoring this church. And I felt like I couldn't tell anyone. I felt really like I had to keep this really, really close. And so I didn't tell anyone. And so I experienced this for going on three years. And so I would stand up here on Sunday morning, I would preach. And the whole time I'm thinking internally in my head and in my heart, like, I don't, I don't know what I think right now. It was really, really alienating. I felt really alone. Now as a 45-year-old pastor, I look back and I think, that was really silly. You didn't have to do that alone. And in fact, I can name 20 people here I could have told, and it would have been fine. And I would have been better, and they would have helped me. But for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. I was really, really low. Uh, today, we're going to continue our psalm series, and we're going to look at a psalm of lament. And lament is not a word that we use a lot in our world. You don't normally call your friend and say, you know, I'm, I'm lamenting today, you know. Uh, you don't really say that. So if, uh, if that's a new word for you, all, all, all lament means is, it means like heavy sorrow. It means like real, real sadness. That's what lament means. And when you think about it, often this kinds of sadness is connected to loss. Um, maybe, maybe you lost a loved one. Uh, I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one or not, but when you lose a loved one, uh, there's a real grief. There's a real, there's a real sorrow there. And, and how many of you understand that even if you work through the grief and you get on the other side of it, you're, you're never the same. Like if you lose somebody really close to you, you come through it, but even, even after you're through it, you're never the same. And you can talk to people who have maybe been married for 60 years and, and one of them dies and that, that other person, I mean, they're never the same after that, you know? Or if you talk to parents who have lost a child, they're just never the same. Or, or maybe... Maybe it's the loss of a relationship or a divorce. Some people never recover after a bad split up. A job or a career. Uh, in America in particular, we, we so identify who we are with what we do. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why if you meet someone new, usually the first question you ask them is, what do you do? Like maybe even before you ask their name, you know? It's like, what do you do? And, and that's a little cultural cue that here, at least in the States, that who, who we are is so deeply connected to what we do. And, you know, if you've worked at a company for 20 or 30 years and then, you know, you have a, have a, a Monday morning meeting with a boss and they give you this paper from HR and you were expecting maybe a new project, but what they said is we just, we kind of don't need you anymore. You know, it can, it can turn your life upside down. All of a sudden there's real loss. And, and with that loss, there comes, there comes real sadness. Or maybe it's a worldview. Maybe it's a worldview. Uh, in quotations in my notes this morning, next to that I have, I thought these were the rules. You know, uh, depending on how you grow up, you'll grow up with a system. You'll grow up with a worldview. You'll grow up with a culture. There's a culture in your house. There's a culture in this city. There's a culture in this country. And it informs a lot of things. And sometimes when you get to a certain age, you find out that the rules that were handed to you as an eight, nine, 10, as a 15-year-old kid, they don't work anymore. The rules have changed. And you have to let go of those in order to Take the next step forward and then letting go, there's, there's a loss and, you know, it can become a real sorrowful moment. Or, or maybe it's just like a season of life, kind of like that first story I told you 
when you leave adolescence and you start stepping into adulthood and not only that, but you become aware. Even if you can't cognitively name the fact that that's what's happening, your body and your soul knows that you're leaving childhood forever and forever from this day forward, you'll be an adult. And you know what? When the seasons change like that, there's a lot of seasons in your life. Uh, sometimes there's an attending sorrow. Happens to a lot of people. And what's wild for us this morning is that so many of the Psalms are ones where the author comes to God in a really low spot. Uh, in, in fact, depending on how you categorize the Psalms, most of the Psalms are laments. If you go and uh, read the, the, the scholars on this, what they'll tell you is you add up the 150 Psalms, you divide them out into categories, most of them are laments. I was thinking about this the other day. Somebody was telling me a few years back about what it's like when the church gets together. And they gave me this image. They said, every time the church gets together, it's, it's kind of like a carousel at the amusement park. Some of the horses are up, but some of the tigers are down. And it's this way every time the people of God get together. Uh, some of the horses are up, but some of the tigers are down. And, and that's true even this morning. Uh, not everybody in the room right now has a life that's going up and to the right. Some of us are, some of us are at the bottom. And, and here's the problem with that. I actually believe that image to be true. But the problem is we've grown up in a culture that tells us that we need to pretend that everything is okay. And so the truth is some of the horses are up, but some of the tigers are down but we come to church, and even at church, in the presence of God and our best friends, sometimes what we do is we just pretend we're okay. Not only that, but most modern worship songs are only about victory and overcoming. You know, if you listen to K-Love all week long, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you listen to K-Love all week long, you're only going to hear songs about victory, being a winner, and overcoming. It's very strange. And then to add on top of that, so much of preaching that you'll see outside of, like, wherever you get your media, so much of preaching that you might encounter is really just about how to have a better life. And can I tell you something? Uh, preaching that's about how to have a better life is not, it's not really gospel preaching. Uh, the, gospel of, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that, that God has taken on everything that was lacking in the world and everything that is broken, he has made right in his son. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes pastors just take up this project of how to have a better life, three steps to have a better marriage, two steps to advance in your career, how to let go of anger forever. And that's fine, but I just want to tell you, none of that's the gospel. So some of the horses are up, some of the tigers are down. Almost all the worship songs are about victory and overcoming. The overwhelming majority of preaching is divorced from the gospel. It's only life improvement. And then on top of that, charismatic theology... And by the way, here at the Vineyard, we are charismatic. But so much of charismatic theology is fairly rooted in a kind of denial. It struggles to make room for pain. It struggles to make room for loss or the difficulties that people face. And when it actually does turn to face the trauma that people have in their lives, sometimes it mostly looks for a bypass or a shortcut. Can we just like pray for something instantaneous to happen? And can I tell you, God does instantaneous things. We've seen people get their actual bodies healed here at the vineyard. It's actually pretty, pretty normal. But you know what? Sometimes people don't get healed. And we've seen relationships after one prayer 
come back together. And then sometimes it takes years. And so here's what I want you to know. God is not only the God of the instantaneous, but he's the God of process and, and slow progress just as much. In fact, if you read the scriptures, God is more a God of process than he is the instantaneous. And unless you have a theology that makes room for both, you're setting yourself up for a kind of dismal disappointment. That's the problem. But the good news is in the Bible, it's not like that, especially in the Psalms. Psalms are unflinching. No one's pretending. It's very unvarnished. If it's bad, the psalmist says so. If it's disappointing, the psalmist says so. If it hurts, it's in the text. So I want to read the text to you this morning. I want to read the text to you this morning. It's Psalm 13. David says this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? And how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. I love that line. And don't let my enemies gloat saying, we defeated him and don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love and I'll rejoice because you have rescued me and I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And aren't you glad this kind of thing is written in the Bible? Aren't you glad these are verses from the actual Bible. Uh, the other day I was reading a piece from the New York Times about depression and anxiety. A few things stood out. One of the things that was in the article is, uh, as of today, about 20% of Americans are currently struggling with depression, anxiety, or addiction. Uh, I gave that stat in the first service and immediately following one of the PhDs in, in uh, psychology came up to me and said, Adam, the truth is those are just CDC stats the real numbers are one in three because so many people don't reach out to get any kind of help and so they're not actually counted. So think about it. Uh, this morning in first service, room was full, maybe even a touch fuller than this. Look around the room right now. One in five or one in three that are in this room are probably a carousel on the down. Those numbers are not just true out there, they're true in here. The article also said from 1999 to 2017, suicide rates had increased by 33%. A substance abuse is up in both adults and in minors. Uh, but the good news this morning is that the Bible doesn't flinch from the things that weigh us down. And that's good news because the truth is some of us in the room this morning are sad people. Some of us are experiencing sadness because we've had a real loss touch our lives. Or maybe you can't point to a specific loss but it's the emotional resonances of things that happened a long time ago. I was reminded this week of uh, something from my, from my psychology 101 class that I had like 187 years ago. Uh, in uh, Psych 101, I remember this this week, Freud said that, that depression is oftentimes actually anger turned inward. I think that's actually fairly insightful. Uh, maybe there's some unresolved anger in your life. Maybe there's something unprocessed, something from an earlier period in your life when you didn't have the tools to handle it, and now it's showing up in your life as sadness and fatigue. It's really normal, by the way. It's a good thing we have things like Psalm 13. Four times in two verses, the psalmist asked the question, how long? Maybe we can put that up. 
Look at this. Four times in two verses, David asked God, how long? How long will you forget me? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? And how long will my enemy have the upper hand? You know, Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. And sometimes the things that we're waiting for, sometimes they're not on the calendar. Uh, how many of you remember being a child and you're waiting for Christmas, right? It's hard to wait for Christmas. But can I tell you something that's good about that kind of waiting? At least you know it's coming every December 25. But if you're praying to God for an answer, maybe, maybe you're praying for a, a child or maybe you're praying for, for a mate or maybe you're praying for a new job or something to change in your life. How many of you know that it's not on a calendar like December 25? And so the waiting isn't just waiting, it's, it's waiting with an, with an unending question mark that hangs out there. How long? How long? How long will I have to wait to be married or to feel better or to have children? So what do you do? Uh, three things this morning. I made a little outline for us. This is straight from the text. What do you do? What do you do when you're at the low end? What do you do when you're sorrowful? What do you do when you're depressed? What do you do when things are not working out? What do you do if you're not the horse that's on the high side, but you're the tiger at the bottom? Here's what you do. Number one, you name it. Number two, you come to God. Number three, you remember faithfulness. These are all from the text this morning. Number one, name it. The first step is always to name it. And I hope you notice in the text this morning that David names three kinds of sorrow in his life. Kate, maybe we can put these back up. David names three kinds of sorrow in the first two verses. Uh, number one, separation from God. God, how long will you forget me? The feeling like me and God are just distant. That's a, that's a source of sorrow. Number two, how, much, how long will I struggle with the anguish in my soul? Uh, David names this, this other sorrow. It's like internal anguish in the soul. And then number three, David says this, how long will my enemies have the upper hand? So there's distance from God, anguish in the soul, and, and real enemies. And by the way, that, that number three one, you know, enemies having the upper hand. Uh, I just want you to know that sometimes, sometimes the thing that is making us sorrowful, it's, it's internal, right? But sometimes it's actually external, enemies, really, really things that are happening on the outside. And sometimes it's people. Here's what I'd like to say to the church this morning. Uh, Christianity doesn't require us to pretend that everything is okay when it's clear that things are not okay. Like if you come to the vineyard and things are not okay, you don't have to, you don't have to act like they're okay. Uh, you can tell someone, uh, you can tell me, you can tell Andrew, you can tell somebody in the 60 second social, I'm not okay. Will you pray for me in 30 minutes when Adam is done? Will you pray for me? Uh, having faith doesn't mean living in a fantasy world. The first step is always to name our sorrow and to name our pain. And, and here's what's wild. Sometimes it's harder to name it than we might imagine. Sounds simple, but sometimes it's really difficult. Sometimes we're feeling the feelings, but it's hard to locate where the feelings are coming from. And if you grew up in a hyper word of faith background, or if the household you grew up in was one that was formed by toxic positivity, anybody heard of that little phrase, toxic positivity? Basically where bad emotions aren't allowed, we're a happy family. That's not the way we act. We're going we're gonna to turn that frown 
upside down. And if you grew up in a home like that, or if you grew up in a theological system that was hyper word of faith, here's what I want you to know this morning. It will be really hard to name the things that are dragging you down. You might even need some help. Sometimes it's hard to know where the bad emotions are coming from, especially if you have grown up in a system where they were not allowed. Sometimes it's hard to name them. And sometimes the things we name at first are not really the actual source of our pain and disappointment. Sometimes those are just the things that present at the beginning. How many of you have ever done that? You're like, you know what? I'm really low and I know why I'm low. I'm low because I married the wrong person, you know? And so you, you get rid of the first person and then you get married and then what do you find out? I'm still low. Or you think, you know what I need to do? I need to get a new house. That'll make me feel better. And then you go out and get a new house. You move in. It's so sparkly. The tile is clean. The grout's even clean. It's awesome. It hasn't even turned brown yet. And everything's great. And you're sitting in the bathtub of your dreams and you're thinking, nothing's changed. There's this, there's this saying from, from AA, wherever you go, there you are. Sometimes the things you name at the beginning, they're not the actual things. This happens all the time. And so it's really important to take your time when you begin to name your sorrows and to begin to name your pain. One of the things I'd like to ask the church this Sunday is, what is the source of the sorrow in your soul? Can you name it? Number two, you come to God. This is, this is key in biblical lament and emotional processing. Uh, we don't just name things to the universe. Can I tell you something about the universe? The universe doesn't care about you. The universe doesn't care about you. The universe is currently expanding and one day will implode. And that's what the scientists say, right? Can I tell you who does care about you? Your father in heaven. Uh, we, we, we don't just name it and we don't even just tell someone around us. And that's oftentimes very good. Like, I believe in going to therapy. Like, you need to go to therapy? Go to therapy. You need a counselor? Get a counselor. I've done it. I'll probably do it again. Uh, that's good. But here's the other thing you have to do. You have to name it, and you have to take it to God. Come to God. This is what David does. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, we name our struggles, but we name the pain and the, and the source of our trauma, and we, we bring it to God. David says, David says to the Lord, turn and answer me. And I love the language here when he says this. He says, turn and answer me, restore the sparkle in my eyes or I'll die. And I love, I love the thing that David is actually getting at here. What he's saying is, he's saying, God, if, I'll get an, if I can get an answer from you, uh, answers from you are life to me. That's what he's saying. God, an answer from you is life to me. And, and some of the answers that you need, uh, some of the answers that you need will only come from, from God. And so we name our pain, but we have to take it to God because some of the things that will return the sparkle back to your eye and to your life, they, they only come from God. I love that idea. That's why coming to God is so important because God brings life. And if you have a real struggle, it would be wise to come to the one person who can do something about it. The life of a believer is this. We come to God not just to offer worship and thanksgiving, like we read about last week in Psalm 100, but we also bring our sadness and sorrow. We bring our pain and discomfort. We bring it all. Uh, when we think of David, who wrote this psalm, uh, I, I was enjoying this a little bit. 
uh, this week while I was thinking about this text, but also thinking about David, the guy who wrote it. Uh, sometimes when we think about David, we think about, uh, we think about a worshiper, and we think about David worshiping the Lord as a young kid, like maybe 14 or 15, out keeping his father's sheep. And the Bible said that David played a harp. I, I think it was probably a telecaster. It, it, it was most likely a telecaster because he was a country guy. So he was, he's just out there chicken picking. There's a, there's a, I mean, I don't even like this music. There's a chance that David was more Kenny Chesney than he was Bono. For real. And, and we think of David as a worshiper, and we think of David as playing his telecaster to the Lord. Uh, we also think of David this way. We think of David as a warrior, uh, the guy who, who could slay giants with little stones. Uh, we think of someone who could calm down a demonized man with his song. Uh, do you guys remember that part of the story? Like David uh, was so good at playing guitar. Saul found out and he's like, bring that, bring that musician to me. And David would go in and play. And by the way, when David played before Saul at this time, Saul is, at, at this point is, he's thoroughly demonized. He's, he's overtaken with rage and jealousy. Y'all remember that part where, where Saul would, would get angry and he'd, he'd try to pin David to the wall with his spear? But David could play so well that it would calm him down. Now imagine, imagine you're a guitar picker and imagine the king likes your playing and imagine that every day you go and play before him, uh, imagine that your life depends on it. You're playing for your life. That's David. Uh, we think of someone who could calm down a demonized man, killed giants, uh, who wrote a lot of the Psalms that we read. Uh, the Bible even says that David was a man after God's own heart, uh, but he was also someone who was acquainted with grief and who was acquainted with sorrow, and he brought all of those things to the Lord. He brought all those things to the Lord. Uh, one of the things I'd like to say to the church this morning, like part of it, what it means to be a strong person is to bring your weakness to God. It's part of what it means to be a, a, a real person and a strong person. Uh, the same David who slayed giants and killed Philistines, uh, he was also troubled in his soul. Uh, he was hounded by his enemies. Uh, the life of faith is not always up and to the right. Uh, and here's the thing, church, you have to express that because without expression to those kinds of things, uh, we become very different kind of people. Rather than becoming more real, we become fake. Uh, how many of you have ever known someone that was going through something, yet when you interacted with them, they acted like everything is fine? Uh, maybe you had a brother, like an actual brother or a sister, an actual sister, and you know their life is jacked up. And then you call them and they tell you everything's fine. And then the thing that happens is, is they become less and less of a real person and more and more of an actor. And, and one of the things that the Bible would say to us is, uh, we have to name it, we have to bring it to God. We have to, we have to actually get into our actual life. Like God can't and will not heal your fake life. He only heals our actual life. Hiding is not required. That's what we see in the text this morning. There's no hiding required. Uh, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their first impulse was to go and hide. Hiding never brings us fullness. I was also thinking about Saul this week. Saul was called out by God to be the king. And his first impulse after being called out to be king was to go and hide. 
And, and, and listen, a, a lot of times we're hiding all the time. We're hiding our pain. We're hiding our sorrow. We're hi- hiding our trauma. We're, we're, sometimes we're even hiding from our calling. Uh, we're hiding our sin. And one of the things that the Bible would say to all of these things is that hiding is not required. And one of the things I would want to say as the pastor of this church is hiding is not required because God cannot deal with fake lives. He can only move and work in our real life. Number three, faithfulness. Remember faithfulness. Uh, David ends the psalm by recounting the faithfulness and the character of God. Here's what you do. Here's what you do when you're, when you're in a low spot. When you're in a desert, here's what you do. You remember the springs. And when you're in a hard season, you remember the times of plenty and blessing. David could remember the God who rescued him from the lion and the bear. Uh, David could remember the God who rescued him from the mocking Goliath. Uh, David could remember the God who rescued him from Saul himself. Why? Because God had been faithful. And here's what I'd like to tell you this morning. Uh, God has been faithful to you and will be faithful to you. Uh, This is actually what biblical lament is all about. Maybe we could put those last two verses up, Kate. Look at how David ends. He's, He's saying, God, I'm anguished in my soul. Why are you pretending like you don't know me, God? But he says in verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. Why? Because he'd experienced God's unfailing love. And I'll rejoice because you've rescued me. How does he know that? Because he'd been rescued from the lion, the bear, and Goliath, and Saul. Uh, I'll sing to the Lord because he's good to me. Why? Because he has been good to David. He remembers faithfulness. And this is, this is actually what lament is all about. There's a key difference between lament and simply complaining or getting stuck at the low spot. Lament says this. Lament says, I know the character of God and it does not match my current life situation. Like I've experienced the goodness of God. And not only does it know the goodness of God, but it, but it knows that God is eventually going to make all things right. So lament is coming from this place of, I have experienced the goodness of God and I know that in the future, he's going to put all things right. Now, God, here I am in a hard situation. What are you going to do about it? God, I'm sick in my body and I've experienced your goodness. I know you're a a good God and I know that in the end, you're going to wipe every tear from from every eye. Now, what are you going to do about this? God, I'm sick in my body. God, I have a kid who's, who's gone nuts, who's wavered. And God, you told me that when I had this child, that you, that you were going to be with my family and you were good to us. And God, I know that in the end that you tell stories about prodigals who come home. Now, what are you going to do about this son who's gone? Or, or, or maybe, maybe there's a relationship. Maybe you're estranged from your husband or your wife, or, or maybe there's been unfaithfulness, or, or maybe things are not working out at work. Uh, maybe other people are getting getting promotions and you're getting passed by over and over again. And maybe you know that in the past, God has been good to you. What are you going to do? Lament says, God, these are the things that are actually happening in my life. And I know that you've been a good God. Now, what are you going to do about this? That's biblical lament. That's what it means to be a real person of faith. It's it's leaning into the faithfulness of God, that that God doesn't change. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says that he's, he's the same today. And forever. That's what it says about God. And so we can come to God, even with the very difficult and painful things and say, God, you have been good, but what about this? What about this? So today, so today, what are we going to do? I was thinking three things this morning. And if you're on the worship band, you can, you can come on up. I was thinking three things this morning. 
Uh, Some of us in the room are asking God, kind of like David, how long, O Lord? Maybe, Maybe you've been praying. Or maybe, maybe you've been waiting so long that you no longer pray. It's just a how long. God, how long am I going to be sick? God, how long until this? How long until I find a mate? Number one, how long? We, we want to pray with anybody who has a how long in their life this morning. Uh, number two, uh, David talked about the anguish in his soul. Uh, some of us are broken in our souls this morning. And maybe you've never told anyone. Uh, we, we have a ministry team that will be up front here after we sing this last song on my left and your right. And they would love to just, we, to love, they would love to just listen with you and to pray with you. Uh, to hear you name the anguish in your soul. And then, and then some of us here uh, this morning, uh, we have actual enemies. It's not internal, but it's like external. There's like a, a person and it's tormenting us and we need prayer. I mean, David named that this morning, right? And so it's probably the same for us. So here's what I would love this morning. Uh, why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing one more song. And then if you need prayer for any of those things, or maybe something else this morning, you can come up and we're going to have some people here who can and want to pray with you. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.